This is Governance Matters, the podcast for corporate secretaries. I'm Jeff Cassette. More and more women are taking a seat in corporate boardrooms. Last year, women made up almost half of all new board appointees. But the point of being a director is not simply to be in the room. The point of being a director is to bring to bear talent and expertise and exert influence during board discussions. Now, a new study suggests that for women, that's easier said than done. That's because women board members walk the finest of lines. Being a woman, they're supposed to exude warmth. But they're also corporate leaders, so they're expected to display competence. Step too far out of line with stereotypical gender norms, and you risk what researchers call social backlash. It's called the double bind. Tiffany Cherbiatowski is Assistant Professor of Management at Colorado State University. She's been studying the double-bind phenomena and how women directors manage it. She and her research team interviewed more than 40 female Fortune 500 directors for an inside look at how they balance competing expectations for warmth and competence. She's uncovered six distinct participation tactics women directors use to optimally navigate gender-based expectations, minimize backlash, and be more influential. In our conversation, Tribiatowski outlines each tactic, when directors say they use it, where it falls on the warmth-competence spectrum, and what using it can cost. We reached her in Fort Collins, Colorado. Tiffany Cherbatowski, welcome to Governance Matters. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here today. So what is the uh, uh, double bind that uh, women directors face? Can you describe that for us? Yes. Uh, So double binds exist in many different types of situations. Um, The double bind is just basically a situation where a person is confronted with two competing demands. If we think about women on boards or women in general, actually, the two competing demands that they're facing is the abilities to appear warm. So that's the warmth demand and the ability to appear competent. And that's the competence demand. They're competing because um, for women, they are generally told to appear warm, um, but sometimes if you come across too strongly, um, say, and you are very direct, which is one way of showing competence, um, it can go against the warmth demand. So that's why it's a double bind, uh, because the qualities needed to show both warmth and competence oftentimes compete with each other, and those are based on our social norms in society. Uh, in our context, which is a board, you call it a, a gendered context. Uh, that double bind is somehow amplified. That is correct. So gendered contexts are usually the ones that have been historically dominated by a masculine uh, culture, which 
again, has in the past been composed of a certain demographic. Usually within that space, there were a lot of men. And at least in the the Americas, it was a lot of white men. So that's what is defined as in terms of like gendered context or masculinized. It really has to do about the history of the area, either an industry or in this case, uh, boardrooms, which can be across different types of industries. So you could have, for example, a boardroom in a feminine industry like consumer retail, but that's still going to be considered a masculinized context because how things are done, how things progress throughout the meeting are based on norms that are situated with how society thinks men should behave. Again, it's all about the should, not what's actually happening. So that's what's a little bit different. It's a stereotypic context. And you identify in your paper, in your research, you identify, uh, I believe it's six ways that um, women, sort of tactics uh, women use to um, to breach this, this gendered uh, context. Let's talk about them one by one. Um, and I think before even thinking about them one by one, it's, it's good to think about them in terms of where they fall on the warmth competence dimension. So you can think of warmth-based tactics, which are the types of tactics that meet expectations to appear warm. And so two of those tactics actually fall more on that side. Those are the asking and connecting tactics. And I'll go through those one by one. Um, On the complete opposite side are the competence tactics. Those, again, are the ones that socially are going to show competence and may actually be more associated with masculine-typed behaviors, um, again, expected. And those would be the asserting and qualifying. And then finally, the last two tactics are actually called hybrid tactics. They're in the middle. They're using both warmth-based expressions as well as competence-based expression. And those are the waiting and checking tactics. Okay. And so I just want to give the overview of how those are connected to the double bind. Um, because as you mentioned, there is backlash if you, for example, if you're expected to be warm in a certain situation, but you are very direct and you are not showing warmth, concern for others, you know, um, asking things in indirect ways, then you will uh, perhaps be seen or labeled as um, too direct. And there's some other fun terms my <laughs> participants use uh, that well, just like- uh, ask, what, 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 what did they say? What, 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 uh, so this is where- some of them, for example, like use the the term cold hearted or other types of um, negative labels associated with women who may be seen as too direct or assertive. Okay. Um, so I did want to say that there, so the tactics do align with these expectations and the use of when you use each of the tactics actually goes with what types of aims you have for your participation. So, for example, I know we want to get into each one, but I just wanted to, there's like a framework that goes around it before we know what, which each of the tactics are. Um, If you want to disagree with someone, you, um, that is something that, again, would be seen as stereotypically inconsistent if you're a female disagreeing in an assertive way. So, in that case, you actually want to lean on the warmth-based tactics. 
So you want to associate or align yourself with those gender stereotypes. So you want to express yourself in a more of a feminine way using the warmth based tactics to do something that is maybe a little bit more seen as going against the collaborative norm. So like disagreeing with someone. So in that case, that's when you would use asking or connecting. Um, And that's when our participants were feeling the most uh, comfortable using those tactics. I actually had a, a CEO so some of the, the women on the boards, um, they're all on publicly traded uh, companies. And one of the CEOs was talking about how she had to use a different approach as a CEO versus as a board member, partly because of the culture of the boards being collaborative. Everyone's coming in. You're kind of on an equal playing field. I mean, again, there's still status-based differences, but everyone is a director and there is a chairperson. Um, but this person in their CEO role was more able to use an, like an asserting style, like be more direct, um, but had to use more of a warmth-based approach when they were disagreeing with something that the board was saying. So part of it could be your position, but it was interesting to hear that example of people are self-regulating, changing their behaviors, monitoring how they speak and behave and interact based on when they're in that situation of the board context. Women mitigate that problem by using some of these tools. Yes. Um, they've noticed over time when they either other people tell them how to act. Like, so for example, there's some informal onboarding that is happening and saying, well, if you want to be effective in this board, this is what you should do. Or they've had experience trying one way, one tactic, uh, realizing that it was falling on deaf ears. So that was a term that a lot of our participants used. Um, And then, you know, changing their approach and seeing it be more successful. Uh, Can we go into some of the tools, the tactics? Yeah, Yeah, sorry. I I know I I averted them just because I wanted to show the overall framework, but we can get into the tactics. So... Uh, The first tactic is um, a warmth-based tactic. It's called asking. It involves voicing ideas in the form of questions and are using a polite or soft tone to present ideas or express opposing views. Um, So the largest way that this came up in our interviews was really about kind of if someone had a direct thought that they were thinking, they would usually spin it into a question. So it's not like they're disagreeing with someone and it worked the best when they were trying to disagree, but they would say, um, you know, what's the downside of that? You know, in a question form, kind of like a little bit of hesitation, you know, intonation at the end of the question form, right? Rather than what is the question of that? Or or, what is the downside? It was more like, what is the downside of that? Is there another possibility? Or what if we tried to do this? So these were all, again, examples of asking. So many of the participants use this approach and were most successful when they used it to, again, diversify the conversation, which means to take it into a different direction. Sometimes that could include something about the content area. Say they were talking about um, a new product that they wanted to introduce. Um, Or it could even be getting it off of the the track of what you would normally talk about in a board and try to bring up something that the board doesn't usually discuss, but 
the board member wants to discuss. The biggest example here is when women wanted to bring up issues around diversity. Hmm. Um, So when you want to talk about diversity or even issues around things that are stereotypically associated with the feminine kind of areas of employment, which includes like maternity leave, um, anything that wasn't like hardcore, like product in product recall or product introduction, you know, they would use this asking because it would, it was maybe not just a, um, a normal topic that would be discussed. So they would approach it kind of in a more hedging type of way with this asking approach. So that's the first tactic. Okay. So asking first tactic, second tactic. Connecting. It's really getting to know other board members, uh, strategically developing bonds and sharing sharing information about non-worker personal life. So some of our participants use this to really get to know things about other people through social interaction, like where they like to travel, if they have kids. So it's talking about your non-work selves during work. Um, the reason why a lot this was helpful for a lot of our uh, participants was because it helped them feel more comfortable and disagreeing um, because, again, a lot of this is based on, let me just take a back, uh, one step backwards, is that in contexts where you don't see people very often, which is in a boardroom context, you meet very infrequently, there's more likelihood that you're going to rely on stereotypes about other people. One of the very obvious stereotypes that, you know, we were studying was gender. So then, therefore, you have those gender stereotypes. The way that you can break down stereotypes is through developing personal connections. This is something from um, Allport 1954. It's called contact theory, just having contact. So connecting really helps kind of break down some of those stereotypes, but also not only for the other people looking in or or judging, um, for example, women or whichever stereotype you're thinking of. Um, Because this could, again, go the other way. Like, for example, I would expect a male to be very assertive. But it helps people feel that they can disagree more. Um, So you can, building those relationships helps them be more candid and honest with each other. Um, So I just kind of wanted to mention that connecting really helps break down some of those stereotypes. Even if it kind of seems like they're living up to some of the stereotypes. because you'd probably be more likely to expect a female to ask you about your children than a male, right? That's just, again, another societal stereotype. Um, So even though some of these, which again, both connecting and asking are both warmth-based, because in some ways they're really kind of leaning into the gender stereotypes that society has said. Um, But what that means is that that helps us, helps women break some of those uh, stereotypes like disagreeing. So you can use, again, just, it's like, Introducing an idea that's not so far out of this world that people will be confused. It's more like trying to, and not so small that people aren't going to think it's meaningful. It's like kind of like the middle ground of like trying to influence in that type of way. So, yeah, so that's connecting. Did you want to go into the next two tactics, which were competence-based ones? Asserting and qualifying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Asserting refers to expressing opinions and thoughts directly or strongly with confidence. A lot of the women who talked about asserting would really talk about saying, I don't try to hold back when I share what I think. Um, um, Another participant said, you know, women should pipe up on their whatever expertise they have, and they should feel very confident to speak their mind. 
So a lot of our participants that use this category, uh, it was most effective when they were um, trying to amplify their voice, especially when it was in their area of expertise. Mm. Um, so for example, women or our participants who used asserting, but say it was outside their areas, area of expertise, say they were a chief financial officer, but they're going to talk about, say, IT. If they used asserting to talk about something outside their area of expertise, like IT, uh, information technology, um, they would be more likely to experience backlash. So asserting look, worked really well when it was in your area of expertise and when you were trying to amplify your idea or opinion. It was like nicely timed with whatever was discussed in the meeting. It was in the scope and the time was like on par with whatever the uh, board was currently discussing. This is the tactic that a lot of our participants perceived that would be most likely to get backlash of all the six is if you were to use asserting in the wrong context uh, at the wrong time, um, especially asserting to disagree, which is kind of the opposite. When I was talking about asking to disagree being effective, asserting to disagree was seen as, again, the most likely to, uh, there was, you know, some good stories of women just recalling an example of them using a direct asserting way to disagree with something and then either kind of verbally being told like, or not being listened to or, Chairman says, okay, let's break for lunch. Okay. Yeah. Or even even like a one person had a CEO come up to them after the meeting and said, uh, why would you throw me under the bus like that? You know, and this this participant said something like, Well, if it was in the, in her head, not to the CEO, if it was this other person who was a male who said that in that exact same way, that they wouldn't have gotten that comment from the CEO. Hmm. Um so again, they're attributed to gender in terms of how they're being seen and um, sometimes given feedback to by others. So that's asserting. Next one is qualifying, which is also competence-based. It's when you publicly acknowledge your expertise. Um, so that's one way. So for example, if you are sharing a view, you would hedge it with what expertise you have in that area to share that perspective. Um, as a chief financial risk officer, I this topic doesn't concern me because X, Y, Z. Um, qualifying also was when our director, our participants acquired sufficient skills, knowledge, and credentials to execute their director role. So a lot of our participants did continuing education, went to different conferences on how to be a director, um, which is actually a very... Um, gendered thing, uh, it seems from our participants' perspective, in the sense that um, more women seem to go to those types of things to try to amplify their expertise. So for example, getting acquiring knowledge, skills, and abilities from training programs um, or other certificates. And there was actually a mixed reaction to whether this perpetuates a stereotype for women as not having the competence needed. And so they're going out to get it or um, whether it was good to kind of have this extra knowledge. So there's actually, this one was interesting because there was such a mixed reaction. I think it's because there's an expectation that we, I guess a lot of the participants didn't want to have some sort of 
unwritten expectation that women have to do all these extra things that men don't have to do. Mm-hmm. For example, going to like getting a board training MBA or whatever the the situation is. Um, so some of the women thought they were really great to help give women the extra confidence they need, you know, to, for example, amplify their voice. Um, whereas other women thought that it could actually perpetuate gender stereotypes by, re- by requiring only women do these things and expecting women to have them when you're interviewing them for board positions, but not having that same expectation for men. So that's why this, this tactic was interesting in the sense that there were split reactions to its use, but it did help, for example, like just even acknowledging the expertise, building the expertise um, when women did want to amplify uh, their voice. So, but you would have to do it just, just so that I'm clear on this, you would have to, in order to get away with that, essentially, you would have to say, well, I just happen to have 10 years experience marketing, you know, widgets, and uh, I think you should do X with your widgets. That that would be an exam- example of, of sh- showing your qualifications right. and then, and then having people listen to you and, and. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And in that case, you know, you, it's similar to the idea of the scope I talked about with the asking or the asserting um, with qualifying again, say, so that's a really good example of effective qualifying. Ineffective qualifying would be again, sometimes for women, what we, we saw is say you are um, in a supply chain operations person. So widgets, producing widgets, and that's your expertise. Um, but there is a finance topic that comes up. And say you go and do a bunch of reading on finance and you use that to qualify. Oh, I took an extra course on finance to, you know, and this is what I've learned in it, X, Y, Z. And then you say your point of view that's more ineffective because it's out of their scope of their expected expertise. Hmm. Um, so that was similar with both the competence-based tactics that while, again, it's helping women walk the fine line between managing both warmth and competence-based expect, uh, expectations, there still is a limit for what, what we're seeing in terms of um, being completely effective. There's There's a limit in terms of when women might still be seen ineffective if they're using these tactics. So there's there's still a kind of um, red tape, I guess, in terms of how you have to use these tactics. So you can't just use them in all situations and be like, this is going to work in every situation. So it's very complex. And it just shows that these contexts are still gendered, which means that there's still these strong norms for how people should behave. And that goes for both men and women and people of other genders. Right. So we're like if um, so you can it goes for all genders that are in the boardroom. And that's just because the cultural norms are so strongly ingrained. And we'll get to this later. But that's why some of the recommendations are around trying to make those norms more inclusive. Um, Yeah. Which might take some time. (laughs) Next strategy, next tactic is uh, waiting. Yeah. So the hybrid tactics uh, include waiting and checking. And waiting is delaying expression of views through listening and observing the environment before speaking. So some people use this tactic and they wanted to hear others' opinions and draw out other opinions. Some use it so that they wouldn't make any kind of judgments too soon. Um, Some use it to try to see where other board members were thinking before they would. 
participate or share their views. This was one of the objective for these two tactics. It worked the best when they were trying to clarify. So if their purpose was to clarify where the conversation was going, where their thoughts were on the conversation, waiting seemed to waiting and checking seemed to um, be the best for that. Seems like a sensible um, behavior in any context. Yeah. Right? The women struggled though. Our participants struggled with how long to wait. Okay. I do think waiting is a really good tactic, right? So if you think about even just being a good listener, like that, that involves waiting. Um, but if you wait too long, you're going to be seen as incompetent. And if you don't wait long enough, you might be seen as not considerate of others. That's the warmth base. So you're, you're thinking, so that's why both of those yeah. and competence are, are tied to that waiting tactic because you could go against the competence stereotype. If you wait too long, you can be seen as incompetent. And if you wait too short, you're going to see, be seen as not warm, right? You're going to be seen as rude and kind of like trying to get your point heard. So that was the the big dilemma for our participants. Some people didn't even speak at the first meeting. So say you're a new board member, uh, they decided to wait till the second meeting. And some participants decided because of competence-based views, they didn't want to be seen as incompetent, that they wanted to talk right away at the first meeting um, to try to make sure that people wouldn't think that they were incompetent. They wanted to make sure that they were seen as valuable to be sitting at that seat. Um, it was my so yeah, first that, impression. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's waiting. It's again, a little more complex than just, Oh, you can use it at all times. Again, it's how long do you wait is the next question. It's kind of a tightrope inside of a tightrope almost. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so that's some psychic energy that you have to spend. The next one uh, you, you refer to is what you call checking. Yes. With other directors outside of a board meeting. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah. So this would happen like during breaks or informal gatherings, sometimes through off bar offline communications, a lot of our um, participants talked about this as sidebars. Um, so basically, you would be having a conversation on the side of the normal meeting. Um, it's really to understand more about other people's points. And so, again, if we think about clarifying, it would, a lot of times our participants used it to ask questions, um, especially if they didn't know the answer and, and thought it would be a waste of time to ask the question during the board meeting. Cause remember board meetings have just a very limited amount of time, lots of people. So there's not like a ton of time where you can ask all your questions. Um, sometimes it was to just bounce ideas off of another person. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, saying this in the next meeting, you mm -hmm. know, what do you think of that? So again, it was really clarifying whether, so again, it goes to both the confidence side of things because a lot of times checking would help build women's competence. And it also goes to warmth because you're checking to make sure that you're not going to uh, step on someone's toes. Uh, so again, that's why this one is one of those hybrids. So like, say, for example, you wanted to bring up a point in a meeting, but you knew that it went against person X, X's point, then you'd want to check with them so that you wouldn't step on their toes. You're almost like warning them. So that's the warmth base. You're thinking of others trying to make sure that you're not coming off across as a jerk in the meeting. That's some of the language our participants use. And then the competence side is a lot of times to build their own competence. So again, they use them for 
both these different reasons to balance those two expectations. But the downside of that would be that you're, you may be coming off to certain people as, I don't know, timid or something or, right? Yeah. Well, their downside would be you'd be coming off, uh, across as timid or even as political. Uh. Um, uh, so one of our, so some people were really strong on whether this tactic was something they would use or would not use, um, talking about board content outside of the board meeting. Some of our participants completely said had a zero tolerance policy, which means that they use this. They didn't use checking at all because they thought it would be seen as uh, politicking. And so um, we have some yeah, strong views that checking should not be used because, again, you could be seen as politicking. The point here is what the objective of the checking was. And most of the times our participants were clarifying. So it was it was not like they were trying to influence or make decisions before the meeting happened. That's what that's again um the idea of politicking is trying to sway someone to your side and making them have a decision before they go to the meeting. So it's not even discussed. Um, but the way that our participants use checking was more for that clarifying, asking ideas, and then presenting that that in that same kind of way to the board rather than like fully trying to influence someone and make a decision before that happened. That makes sense. Okay. Because you don't want to be seen as politicking. Right. And that would again be um, a pretty strong violation of gender based expectations uh, for women to be seen as, you know, politicking um, because women are expected to be other oriented which is the idea of collaboration, having everyone involved in the decision. So if you're trying to kind of make the decision on your own or with like a small group of people before the meeting even happened, it would violate that expectation that women have to be warm and other oriented. Okay. So those are the tactics and, and, and some examples. Um, just to wrap up then, do you see a role for the corporate secretary in this? Yeah, in pushing this forward. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think the clearest thing is uh, onboarding processes. We noticed from our interviews that a lot of companies had very quick onboarding processes if they had them at all, and that the onboarding processes usually focus mostly on the business strategy, the products, um, rather than focusing on the culture or the participation norms within the board. Um, so I think the onboarding process where I think the corporate secretaries could really help with understanding how directors contribute within the board, um, you know, what are the norms, the ways that people operate within the board, you know, what happens, does the board chair, you know, direct things, how basically giving a lay of the land, because I think a lot of our participants, when they didn't have that board, like that kind of crash course of how the board operates, had to spend a lot more time observing the room and trying to figure out which strategies would work. So I think to help people on boards understand how to participate and when to participate, having some kind of guidance on how things are done within the board, what how they make decisions, right? So um, all those types of things would help 
women and other board members get up to speed right away on when they can contribute and or how they're going to contribute within the board meeting because they won't be spending as much time trying to evaluate them for themselves or like trying to see who or relying on the goodwill of others even because I know there was this one board member we had who took on kind of the onboarding role informally. She would take every new board member and tell them about the culture and the decision making processes and how things how things ran in that company which was, again, not something that her was her role. But in that board, um, again, sometimes norms uh, were told in ways that of how they should behave, um, but at least they were able to kind of come up to speed more quickly than trying to do it on their own. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times within boards, it's not like you're all within the same company. It's a lot of times you're from different companies. Uh, so that would really help having almost like a neutral person tell them about the board rather than, because I think with having like another board member be your coach, it could cause some relationship complexities. Right. right? Uh, So I think having like the secretary have that be part of their role of onboarding, not only just about the company culture, business strategy, but the board culture and the board strategy, the way that the board has made decisions, kind of the history of the board, those kind of things. I don't think that uh, currently onboarding has that as part of their approach. One final, one final thought is that this kind of brought up for me was one company was using like the way that they were bringing members on, they were very strategic and, um, holistic about it. They had like a, and maybe a lot of boards have this, but they had the skill, skill set checklist in a way where they had all the different board members and their skill sets. And so they would be able to see like which areas they were low in terms of a skill set. And so it'd be really interesting. And again, I don't know if there would be a way to even incorporate this into onboarding, but having an idea of what um, value other people are bringing to the table, um, in addition to just not how the board operates, but like, oh yeah, this person is the finance, their value almost like a idea of where people are coming from with their perspectives so that the women can like understand, you know, how their value adds to other people's value. Because one of the things that we noticed is that women really wanted to make sure they were adding value. And that's what they were really concerned the most about, which is why they tried so hard to continually regulate, and moderate their ways of participating. And so if there's some way that part of the onboarding process could show that value or like how their value kind of aligns with other people's values with like, again, the skills and qualifications other people have, that could be an interesting way forward. And that's your Governance Matters Podcast. My thanks to Tiffany Tribiatowski. Thank you for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cossette.